0: Hello!
1: Welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. It's always nice to hear from listeners. I love it when you tweet me, Instagram. I'm on TikTok now at the advice of my lovely daughter. Sometimes she lets me be on her private TikToks, but then she deletes them. And I mean, she only has 10 followers, girls from her school or my sister's, but they're very concerned about public image now even to 10 people they self-edit kids are very um I don't want to say insecure but just careful they're very careful and considered and that's a good thing and a bad thing I guess who wants to delete cool videos of me I was doing this challenge on Violet's TikTok the other day where you keep your mouth closed and you say daddy help me I can't get out." But I can't do it. I think my teeth are too big. I love when you email me telling everybody everything at gmail.com. That's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. We'll get to your letters in a bit. I've been very busy doing a bonus episode of the podcast where I had two very special guests, and that will be out soon. I'll tell you more about that shortly. Holy, what pressure it is to have guests! I'm not used to it. I started doing this just in my little wardrobe, very private podcast that I didn't believe anyone would listen to. I certainly wasn't aware that news outlets could listen to it and then publish some of the stuff that I say. It's been a real learning curve. I like having the usual guests that I have, you know, I just ring up a mate. That's chill. I can handle that. I can call my dad, catch him off guard, ask him questions about Irish films. I have been watching the greatest TV. Oh, my dad's not awake yet. It's a real shame because he loves golf. My dad works for some sort of piping, structural, mechanical engineering company, but he's not an engineer. I think he and a few friends from Ireland moved to Canada. I don't know why they would move to Sarnia Of all places in the world, why do a bunch of guys in Cork just maybe throw dartboards at a map one day and say, Hey, where is shitter than here? Sarnia, Ontario. Where there have been two murders this year, by the way. 2021. Two murders in Sarnia already. And that's unusual. It's, you know, got some drug problems, the town, but it's not usually a murdery town. There are murders, of course, but... oh, I was reading about a murder the other day in Sarnia. I do not know how it came up. I was searching for someone. Oh, yeah. Someone recently became single as many of your former schoolmates will when this pandemic lifts. And it's someone that I thought, oh, that person might be good for my other single friend. And I Google people. I forget that some people are off grid. And this person's uncle was a judge or someone, someone in Sarnia's dad or grandpa is always a judge. So then the name of the judge came up, not the name of the man. And the name of this case where a man killed his wife, I allege. And was convicted, and then he argued against it and said, "No, actually, I didn't kill my wife. I had a bad lawyer. You can get off anything with a bad lawyer. It's incredible how the justice system works." And he said, "I think it's actually it was a it was a thief, who just came by in the night, and my wife confronted him in the back garden, and he killed my wife." And then he had another trial where he was acquitted. And this guy's just Roman free now, so I guess he didn't kill his wife, uh, legally speaking. But I just I love to deep dive into these cases, because in my opinion, it is always the husband is a very rare instance where a random thief comes by and kills your wife, but it can happen, I guess. Anyway, my dad loves golf. When I was growing up, I didn't know what my dad's job was. I knew he worked at the engineering company, but I didn't understand he's not an engineer. And in kindergarten, we had to draw pictures of our parents at work. And I'm sure you've seen the classic image where a little kindergartner uses crayons to draw his mother at work. And his mother is on a stage with a pole. And she's like a little stick figure holding the pole. And all these customers are holding bills and chucking money at her. And the teacher queries this drawing. And he says, whoa, what what is this? Please explain. Oh, he sends it back to the mom. He goes, I'm sorry, your son drew this of you at work. And the mom's like, oh, I work at a homeware store And it was a big snowfall and I was holding the last shovel and all these customers were clamoring to buy the last shovel. And that's what the picture was. This is hilarious. A hilarious meme if you haven't seen it. How adorable. But I used to draw my father on the golf course and I thought he was a golfer for a while. And then also I would say engineer in my French school. But I remember my French teacher didn't know the word for that. And she was like, your father's a train conductor. I was like, what? I don't know. I guess he golfs. It was just an easier sell, and plus, I liked the color green, I could draw golf courses really well, and I knew where my strengths were. So the other night, my husband and I were able to watch the Tiger Woods documentary. This is now streaming on HBO Max and Hulu, so if you live in America, you can watch that I never steal television. I think that's very important for you to know. I am not a pirate. I love paying for television. And sometimes, because I work in television, I get cheeky links to things. And my husband golfs. So, of course, he was excited to see this. Tiger Woods, I... I. Gather is bigger than Michael Jordan in terms of revolutionizing sport, revolutionizing golf. There are certain things I was not aware of, but I'm not surprised by. So they often, or maybe always, do the masters in Augusta, which is Georgia or Florida, excuse my American geography, in some formerly and still racist place. And golfers weren't even allowed to join the club if they were black for a very long time. So along comes Tiger Woods only a few years after that rule change, and he just absolutely smashes golf wide open. I think a lot of us saw his infancy. You have to be like randomly aware of Tiger Woods, even if you didn't grow up as a golf fan. I know my dad was heavily into it. Bobby K was always Big into it, but I was like just peripherally aware. I knew his father was like a Serena Williams type of dad who really coached his son and built him up and to be the golfer that he was. I know he was golfing when he was two years old. We all know those stories. And of course, if you are a celebrity magazine whore like I am, you will know about the times that he was grassed up for cheating on his beautiful Swedish nanny wife, Elin with, I think, 120 women, we've decided now. They don't get into 120 women in the documentary. They maybe touch on between 10 and 20. And these women will range from a club promoter to uh, high-end escorts, a random coffeehouse waitress any woman. But I remember at the time, the conversation about sex addiction and the comedians would just have a field day with this Tiger Woods cheating scandal. Of course, the public loves to build someone up and then watch them fall from grace. It's a real British pastime that we've seen time and time again. Americans are having fun with it too. And when this all kicked off sort of between uh, throughout his five-year marriage, 2004 and 2009, let's say, it was all over the news. You could not have missed it. Tiger Woods, fall from grace. Tiger Woods drives the wrong way down the highway and gets arrested for a DUI. Ha ha ha. And I remember, as someone who would prefer not to be cheated on, I was outraged. And the way that they'd frame this, for women especially, same thing when Halle Berry got cheated on, they love to go, look, look at how beautiful and perfect she is and she was cheated on. I always hear this narrative. Even Halle Berry was cheated on, so watch out. We're just not supposed to ever trust our husbands, and certainly not rich, famous husbands. But Elin seemed like a very simple, small-town girl who just wanted an easy life, quiet life away from the media. She has two of his children, and all of a sudden she's humiliated Then there was that big scene where she chases his SUV with the golf club and he crashes into a tree outside his house. We saw this play out. And Elon was framed as a gold digger because she received something like $100 million in the divorce settlement. Well, yeah, she has two of his kids. She might not be a golfer, but she was with him to build his life. And then she was humiliated and still has to look after the home. So. He's still worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds and he's fine now. But I didn't realize how sick he really was. And watching the documentary, I think it's very entertaining. I also think it's very fair. They talk a lot about his early days and how truly amazing he was at golf and how he transcended the sport and really changed people's lives about how branded he became from such a young age and he belonged to everyone so couldn't really have privacy at all. See, I'm British now. I say privacy, privacy, privacy. And then gets into all these liaisons. Well, apparently his father was banging women in a Winnebango at the side of the golf course while he was married to his mother. So Tiger came from a lineage of cheating men and struggled losing his own father and then got into these women as well. I don't know. But I do know that he had terrible back pain. You can only swing that swing so many times in your life before your body starts to go, why are you doing this? I hadn't seen some of the tournaments where Tiger Woods was on his knees, doubled over in pain, but played anyway. He just was a machine who put his body through so much and eventually was prescribed the American rich man doses of painkillers. Why wouldn't you be? He had back surgeries, knee surgeries. He had no ACL. And I would have had a lot more sympathy, I think, for the drug addiction that followed if I had understood at the time how truly medicated he had to be for his injuries. Of course, when you give someone Xanax and Vicodin and all these other legal pharmaceutical drugs, opiates are very easy to get addicted to. And in the documentary, they show the clip where he's driving the wrong way down the freeway. Not ideal. He's very lucky to be alive. And he's very lucky that he didn't take anyone else's life doing that. But the man has no idea where he is. They catch him driving in Florida and they go, where are you going? And he says, I'm on my way to Orange County, which is in Southern California. He's just completely out of it. And they say, are you drinking, sir? He wasn't drinking at all. His breathalyzer was negative, but he did have all these painkillers in his system. And it's just wild to me that media, I mean, just culture generally, we didn't think as much about mental health or addiction in the same way. He was just absolutely skewered like, ha, tiger, what a dirty, pathetic sex addict. For me to side with a philandering sex addict is rare. I was on his side for a lot of it. And I love, I think it was Chris Rock at the time. I'm sorry if I'm wrong about this, but he had great material about, is he a sex addict? No. Is he out like banging chickens? No. He's getting with six-figure escorts. The most beautiful women in the world are throwing themselves at him and he's banging them. It might have been D.L. Hughley. He had material about it as well, which was great. But then Chris Rock was saying, You've got to ask a man, have you womanized? Don't marry a man who's been a nerd all his life and now has $100 million. You have to sit him down and find out, have you womanized? And if he hasn't, then that's all still to come. So I know a lot of my listeners will be marrying professional athletes soon. You have to sit them down and find out. Have you been, you know, did you just become a Bitcoin millionaire and you were a geek all your life and you have this vendetta against women who rejected you? Have you been owned by Nike for the last 20 years and you were unable to party at all? Have you womanized? And it's always the guys who have, you know, had a little bit of party days, get it out of their system. They make the best husbands. I don't think my husband womanized necessarily, but he, you know, played sports and had beautiful girlfriends and had options. He had options. So now if options were to present themselves to him, he wouldn't be impressed. Or maybe he would. I don't know. I've had a rough year. The other show that I've been loving was recommended to me by one of my special podcast bonus episode guests and it is called love after lockup and it's on a random u.s network called we like you and me we not like piss and it's absolutely my favorite type of thing so i don't know what is happening with me in the pandemic i cannot watch very much i don't i can't tolerate it And the only things that I can stomach are the innocent reality shows where there are contributors who aren't perhaps from Canada and America and the UK and Australia. I mean, don't get me started on Married at First Sight. It's not for me i love it when they really are pure and they come into reality television the way the contributors used to come in just really not knowing what's in store and 90 day fiance has this special chef's kiss of equality and love after lockup has it as well it is about american singles who find love on prison dating websites and then they end up with someone who's incarcerated and the documentary reality series follows these couples as the partner is being released from incarceration. How will they live their lives? And it's all about kind of the same mystique as 90 Day Fiancé. It's about power structures and how a relationship evolves when those imbalances shift. Because very similarly to 90 Day, you'll have Big Ed, who's this American, supposedly rich in the eyes of his young Filipina, lady that he loves and he's powerful compared to her and then he goes over to where she lives and notices that she sleeps in a concrete house with her entire family on a bare mattress and then he right away accuses her of having bad intentions he goes are you using me for a better life for you and your son and I find that so offensive because it's like (laughs) yes in a way she is there's no other reason to love you and by the way Are you using her for being uh, 19 and totally submissive and naive and utterly dependent on you? Yeah, you are. So in the same sense, these, these prison love shows are so fascinating to me because one person throughout the incarceration period has all of the power, all of the money, all of the freedom and autonomy. And there's a certain allure to dating someone incarcerated if you have control issues. You know where they are all the time. They are definitely not going to leave you. They have no other option, really. They are incarcerated, and you put money on their commissary card so they can buy a packet of what'sits. I mean, that is a power imbalance if you've ever heard one. On the show, they have all exclusively met on sexy prison dating websites. So they knew what they were looking for. And now the partner is being released, and they have to live in the real world. And I can't wait. And I'm just getting into it, but there are three series so far. I just can't wait because in America, series have like 26 episodes and I just know there's going to be trouble. (laughs) I just know it. I've watched three episodes already. It is juicy. These are not ads. Love After Lockup, of course, 90 Day Fiance and all of its spinoffs. And if you can get it, the Tiger Woods documentary. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful man. I'm sorry that I ever judged him and all the sex workers that he was with. They they really turned on him. They went to the media. Of course, they did. This lead one, Rachel O'Shattel, who was a club owner, club promoter. She's like, well, he said he only loved me and he never loved his wife. I have no sympathy for someone like that. Come on, Rach. It takes quite a woman to convince me not to side with women. Now some words from our
0: sponsor. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.
1: Here's the first letter, and I never reveal details about anyone, but I can see by the little profile picture in the email that this is a young woman. Catherine, basically, I met the love of my life a year and a half ago. Your life has been brief thus far. We caught each other's eyes from across the smoking room and spoke for the night. Smoking room? you need to stop smoking, please, because especially in this pandemic, I know I don't want to be preachy. I'm dealing with the same thing with my sister right now. She has been very good with it. And I'm sorry, but I have to tell you, it is a matter of priority that you don't meet people in smoking rooms. We didn't swap numbers or even last names. But a couple of weeks later, he drove through my town, spotted me, and U-turned to get my number. The classic romance. We were inseparable since. He decided to quarantine with me and my daughter, who is a toddler for the first lockdown. And then the three of us moved into our own house a couple months later. Then there were some family bereavements. And I know that you can't quantify losses, but I can tell you listeners that this woman's loss is so much worse than the loss that the man suffered because, you know, there is an eventuality of life. And sometimes that is cut short. Everything became endless fighting and him drinking. Me depressed and it was just awful. We broke up recently, but I think it's such a mistake. I love him more than anything. And I just don't see myself with anyone else. My daughter adores him and he was great with her. The first year of our relationship, we had a pandemic, lockdown. Neither of us could work. We had family tragedies and we moved too quickly. We didn't have a chance. We didn't even get a weekend away or even a proper day trip. I want to convince him to try again live apart, but try again and start over. We were robbed of the careless, fun, romantic first year and I want to do over. Do you think it's worth it? Is there any going back? How do I get him to try again? I'm losing my mind. I can't stop crying. You are losing your mind. You can't stop crying because you've suffered a lot of tragedy in the last year. And to have a toddler in lockdown, to have a new relationship, to have the loss that you've had, to not be worried. You've described things That are legitimate traumas for people. However, I do think that you're projecting and clinging on to this relationship as being the only source of comfort and the only positive thing when it sounds like it's not. This pandemic and these tragedies have their way of blessing you as well, and that is you don't know who someone is until you see them with their back against a wall. Things got tough for him, and what did he do? He fell apart. You started fighting and he started drinking. I'm sorry, but there are going to be other tough spots in any relationship. And if that's how he deals with tragedy or struggle, then it's not going to change. He has shown you who he is. I'm very sorry you didn't get this first year, but I just got married as well a year ago. And we didn't have the honeymoon phase. I mean, We had a better situation than it sounds like you have. And my sympathy goes out to you. But we got stronger in this pandemic and I gained respect for my partner and we didn't fight at all. And those relationships exist and those relationships are available to you. You can't be convincing, getting, going back. All these words are big red flags for me. This was just a relationship that didn't work. And a romantic first year of getaways might have glazed over the problem for a little while. But the cracks are there. You don't need to be with someone who's fighting and drinking. And loads of men will be great with your daughter and will be great with you. And there will be other tragedies, I'm sorry to say, to come in your lives. And you will be stronger. You will not be drinking and fighting. It's going to be really hard for a little while. And you'll miss him because the balance of your life has been disrupted. Just grieve this like you grieved death that you recently had. Try to get into some counseling soon, and I promise that you will be feeling better. Getting back with him to me, though, feels like a mistake. Ooh, another relationship question, seeing as how I am the expert, having been in exactly one healthy relationship. Hi, Catherine. I'm a 33-year-old single mom to my amazing daughter. the side i've been dating a guy for about three months i really really like him we're totally into each other have incredible sex and feel like two halves of the same person well let's stop you there you are not half of a person but i mean i appreciate the hyperbole we had the chat a few weeks ago and he said he was not ready to get into a relationship yet He's a cautious person and likes to take his time despite telling me I'm perfect for him and the only girl he's liked in a really long time. He acknowledged that it may be an issue that I'm five years older than he is. He worries that by the time he wants a family, I will be too old to conceive. (sighs) This is true with all men who date women their own age because many of them are not ready to have a family until their early 60s. My initial drunken reaction was to tell him that if he isn't sure about wanting to be with me then I'm not waiting around for him to decide. However, the next day we chatted some more and I said that I'm willing to give things time and see where they go. Since then things have been good, although he's dropped seeing me to once a week when it used to be one or two times a week. That is 50% less. I know his mom is a narcissist and he grew up with just her so the impacts of this would have been massive. My mom is also a narcissist, which is perhaps part of the reason we connect so well. Having done some extensive research, being the son of a narcissist explains why he's scared of commitment. My question is, do I hang around and give him time to see that I'm a genuine loving person and that I won't hurt him? Or do I end things now to protect myself? My concern is that I don't want to fall for him anymore. And then in a few months time, he uses the age gap reason so that he doesn't have to commit or he self-sabotages what we have. P.S. I know how to spell the Duchess. Yes, you do. All right. It's never great bonding over similar traumas. And I don't know a lot about narcissists clinically speaking, but I have read or heard that the children of narcissists learn that love is conditional. And it worries me right away that he's placing conditions on your relationship your age gap for example I do think when you're analyzing any relationship you just have to look at yourself so forget his mother being a narcissist and just think about your own upbringing as being the child of a narcissist so if your mom was that way so that includes like making you work for her love lacking in empathy like really rigid then you would maybe have some co-narcissism, like you would learn to be really, really flexible and try to shape yourself into the image of what would gain you the love and approval that every child craves. Are you doing that now in this relationship, trying to shape yourself and be amenable and, oh, you know, how can I let him see that I'm a good person? You're very focused on On him, it sounds like. Whereas a narcissist will be really self absorbed. You're really worried about his opinion, how he feels about you. You're being very, very empathic. You know, what's his mood? What's he thinking? Why is he having these thoughts about our relationship? And there's a happy medium. I'm not saying you have to be a complete narcissist, but right now, it sounds to me like you're exhibiting the trauma of someone who was the child of a narcissist. So you don't wanna keep doing that get yourself into a bad relationship. All I can say is, yeah, it sounds like you might be dating your mom. Let's not do that. I, for one, would not tolerate any relationship where the man openly said to me, I'm going to see you half as much as I used to, and I worry that you'll be too old to have kids with me when I'm ready. I'm, uh, that he'd be straight in the fucking bin. But not when I was in a vulnerable position and I was maybe choosing someone to treat me badly. So that's what you need to ask yourself. But I can tell you that a healthy relationship is one where you will always feel trust and love and warmth and you just won't be asking these questions. Stop making excuses for how he's treating you now and start focusing on your own undoing of a narcissistic childhood. Here's another and it's not about a man. Hi catherine i'm a young at heart single gay woman a stressful job as a key worker and a few life events have made me keep my head down for a number of years and just get on with the grind i've now started to lift my head up high and i'd like to get out on the dating scene at some point covid permitting the issue is i feel like i've let myself go i'm not a girly girl and i won't ever be i like to dress smart and sexy though my beauty regime would be non-existent if not for a dash of eyeliner Please could you offer advice with regard to beautifying myself, fashion, and helping me to feel better about the way I look? Gosh, what a terrible time for this because honestly, I have been in a tracksuit for a year. I have some nice tracksuits. I've got day tracksuits and night tracksuits. I've got sort of high-end tracksuits and tracksuits that I've had for ages with holes in them, and it is kind of tough because without submitting to the patriarchy i do worry for my husband that when we got married i was always at events i had professional hair and makeup i looked amazing i hadn't been pregnant yet and then now uh, like i've just had an, a year of basically random health issues and steroids and bullshit and my skin has turned against me and i've been thinking the same as you like how do i look better feel better And the easy answer is to try to get enough sleep, difficult as a key worker. And if you're feeling low, wash your face and go outside. I think it was Coco Chanel who said that wash your face and go outside. Very difficult to do when the sky is gray 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the UK right now. From the beginning of time, I believe that beauty comes from within, but on the outside, it's important to have the three fundamentals, which is healthy teeth, healthy skin, healthy hair. And if you can achieve those three things, and that really means health. It's not even about the way that they look. If you are flossing and visiting a dentist regularly and keeping your teeth really clean, keeping your face like really exfoliated, moisturized, you need sunscreen, not now. Although some people would argue that you get UV light from your phone. And, um, exfoliate, use a nice nighttime acid like a retinol or a vitamin A. That really does a lot just to make you feel good. Maybe some eye drops. You have to have moisturized eyeballs. And then I find that I feel a whole lot better if when I get out of the shower, I at least blow dry just the front of my hair. So Sophia from Sophia Hilton from Not Another Salon, she randomly taught me one day that you brush all the hair forward at the front of your face and then you blow dry it all to the right and then you blow dry it all to the left and you blow dry it all to the right and you keep changing directions for that just hair that frames your face and then leave the rest of it wet if you want but that alone will just add a little bit of polish to your day And then as for fashion everyone's different you really just have to feel confident in what you're wearing And at the moment, I don't think any of us really feel confident in the denim that we were wearing pre-pandemic, and that's fine. Just get something, even if it's a bathrobe or a new set of pajamas that you feel good in. I've been wearing the sleeper pajamas a lot, day and night. You put them with heels and some pearls, and you can wear them out when we're going out. So they're a good investment. But for now, just a good quality cotton that you feel beautiful in, nice teeth, skin, and hair. Genuinely, that's it. And it will improve your attitude. And that is what makes you beautiful. Okay, I appreciate this next question. And maybe it's a device to get this really moving news story into the podcast. But this question also leaves me flummoxed. Catherine, you have Irish heritage and an Irish passport. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the mother and baby home scandal in Ireland. Maybe your parents have an interesting view on it. What view... Apart from outrage, could anyone possibly have... Like, I mean, I don't even blame you for asking me this because journalists ask even dumber... No, this is not a dumb question. I I see why you're asking the question, but I mean, it is a no-brainer. Of course, I am outraged that the laundries or the maternity homes, whatever they want to call them in Ireland, are responsible for the mistreatment and death of so many young mothers and babies. Of course, I think it's heinous that... Whatever societal pressures and Catholicism, or maybe even the Protestants at the time, sent their fallen women away to have these babies in secret that were adopted out or sometimes just ripped from them, and they don't know what happened. I think that is sick. Of course, I think it's disgusting as a society that we always talk about oh, a long time ago when we used to do these terrible things. This happened until very, very recently in Ireland, and God knows where else. I think anywhere that there is darkness cast over shame, you know, bad things happen in the shadows, and I cannot even fathom how nuns, women of God, you know, brides of Jesus, whatever, could be this judgmental and this evil, and I have read all about it, and I know that Some of these young mothers just have no idea to this day what happened to their babies, if their babies are alive or dead. They found mass graves of babies. Babies, you know, this is very triggering information, but if you didn't know, just hundreds and hundreds of names were published. And these are not just two-week-old babies or infants who didn't make it because there was no medical science at the time. No, a lot of these women were assaulted by the priests, assaulted by the nuns, their babies lived there until they were two years old. Some of the deaths are, oh, you know, Liam, age two, like it's crazy what happened. And we will never really know the extent of it. If you want to read about the Magdala laundries or the atrocities that happened in Ireland, I think it's important that this question has maybe directed your attention to it if you didn't know. And hopefully things like this never, ever happen again. And I know people that this has personally affected. So Yeah, what is my view on it? I think it's fucking wild. What is my parents' view on it? Probably wild. And my dad is Irish-Irish. So who knows what secrets, like, I still don't even know about. Because of shame and religion and not talking about things. I'm not going to ring my dad for this because, like, it's a very touchy subject. Just such a horror. Um, I'm going to text him. Dad, what? do you think about the Magdala Laundries, tragedies, and genocide generally? Yeah, classic dad. I'm glad I didn't call him. He said, just, it's a sad day on our history. And you know, that is the kind of avoidance because it's just too sad for a lot of people of that generation. One last one, hopefully it lifts the mood here. It's called, am I selfish? Hi, Catherine. I love baths. Having a bath is a huge stress reliever for me. Is this message from Joe Lysett? Because it sounds a lot like his main interest. You're a cool person already. Baths are the jam. I moved into a house almost three years ago that did not have a bath. My partner and I agreed that we would get a bath fitted at some point in the future, but there was no rush. When lockdown came along, I really struggled without being able to use my mom's bath and decided that once everything was open again, we would get a new bathroom. We've been trying to get our bathroom done for at least six months now to no avail. Either the bathroom fitter lets us down or the showrooms aren't open, etc, etc. We finally met with a lovely bathroom fitter before Christmas who's going to fit our bathroom for us Monday. Everything's in motion. It's finally happening. Or so we thought. I was browsing social media tonight, and it seems as though our bathroom fitter has gone missing. His friends and family are really concerned about him, and there are search parties out looking for him. Obviously, I too am concerned. He's a lovely guy. I really hope he's okay. But I can't help feeling as though my bath that I've waited so long for is being ripped away from me just two days before it was supposed to be fitted. I feel as though I've put a lot of emotion to the side over lockdown, as I know I can fix these emotions through bathing. But now, it might not happen. I can feel it all building up, and I just feel like crying. Am I selfish for feeling this way? Am I an awful person? What can I do to take the importance away from the bath and on to the maybe missing person? I mean, it really feels like a Seinfeld episode. And you're going to have to really immerse yourself in the search and pass your tears of disappointment over the bath off as tears of concern for your missing bathroom fitter. I know you were looking forward to this bath, I get it. But in situations like these, when a man, you know, God forbid, is actually hurt or missing, you do have to really focus on his well-being and his family, maybe really pour yourself, and I hate to use triggering language like pour, into finding this guy. You know, you've got a lot of energy and you don't want to feel sad about the bath, but you know, it can be put to good use and good can come from selfishness and from misplaced emotions. I think you, you really want to help find this guy and everyone else loves him and wants to find him. You agree he's a great person. But think about how much you want your bath. Think about how much you love the idea of that bath. That's how his friends and family feel about him. To them, he is their bath tenfold because he's a missing human being. And I sincerely hope he's found. If you want to send me information about, you know, the search for this guy, maybe I can spread the word and help find him too. I mean, what a horrible, I really hope that he's just somewhere having a good time and that you get him back and yeah you are being super selfish um i choose to look at this like it's a happening in a sitcom and not in real life and i hope all listeners now on the podcast will pray for the safe return of this family man and bathroom fitter i really hope you take a bath at some point because you're cracking up i mean you don't know what's more important than human life at this point you really need a bath more than ever i think maybe do one of those cryogenic swims. My makeup artist, Fiona, she swims in the sea of Portsmouth every morning at 7am. Maybe try that and see if you can zip yourself back into reality because your priorities are all over the fucking map, babe. That was not the lightness that I was looking for to end this episode of telling everybody everything. I will keep you abreast of any developments as they come in. I sincerely will be praying for the safe return of the bathroom fitter please email me if you have any problem relationship problem uh you know building construction problem anything you want to ask me i'll do my best to help it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com i hope you're doing well um i did not make this episode political even though big political things are happening today i feel like i've had enough don't want to discuss it so keep enjoying telling everybody everything as a mostly politics free zone i hope you're eating well sleeping well and washing your face in the shower have a great week
0: mom deserves better than a drugstore card